This episode is brought to you by Awesome CX by Transcom. Awesome CX provides high-touch, personalized customer experience services to consumer brands of any size. Stay tuned for a special offer for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest, and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Lee Green. This is episode 178. And today I sat down with Kate Foster, the co-founder and CEO of The Outset. Co-founded with Scarlett Johansson, The Outset is a consciously clean and gentle skincare brand formulated for all genders, generations, and skin types, including the most sensitive. Kate shares her story from growing up playing soccer and varsity softball to interning at HBO with the PR department of Sex in the City to working in marketing at Victoria's Secret, Ann Taylor, and Juicy Couture to becoming the CMO of Not Your Daughter's Jeans to starting her first company at 40 years old. We talk about the moment she realized she wanted to become CEO one day, how her company Swearby got acquired by Meredith Corporation, and what it was like to meet Scarlett Johansson for the very first time. If you like what you're hearing on the Stairway to CEO podcast, don't forget to click subscribe, leave us an awesome review, and check us out at stairwaytoceo.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Kate, thank you so much for joining the show today. I'm really excited to hear your story and becoming the co-founder and CEO of The Outset. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. Yes. How are you? Where are you and where are you from originally? So I, I'm from Southern California originally. I grew up in a town called Fullerton, which is in Northern Orange County, just south of LA. Today, I am speaking to you from Long Island. Normally, I live in Brooklyn, but we just moved out to Long Island for the summer I picked my daughter up from camp in Maine yesterday. So now I'm like recuperating from a very long drive. You're like, I'm a little fried, <laughs> a little fried from a long drive. That's long. Exactly. I've done that drive yeah. as a kid. We went up to Maine camping once and that's a long drive. But the lobster is amazing. I hope you had lots of lobster. Yeah, it's worth the drive if you can get that lobster, a little blueberry. Yeah, she actually was in New Hampshire but we kind of had to wind our way through Maine to avoid some of the traffic to get back. But she was gone for four weeks. So I'm very delighted to have her back. So yeah. That's great. And so you grew up in Orange County. Talk to us about your childhood. What kind of kid were you growing up? What were you into? What did your parents do? Did you have siblings? Yeah, I would say I was a very typical little sister. I have a brother who's two years older. And I think he really motivated me a ton to you know, I was constantly trying to keep up with him and his friends. Definitely athletically, I was very, very sporty into sports. I loved soccer, softball, running, track, gymnastics, like swimming in our pool, like anything that I could just do, I wanted to do it. And then I kind of wanted it 
do it better than him. And so like, I learned how to ride my bike before him, which I'm sure is something he wouldn't want me to tell everybody. But it was that sort of validation I got from kind of being good at things, you know, winning things that that really did motivate me. I was kind of like, I think early on would get really frustrated. Like if I didn't come in first, if I didn't win this or that, and it's over time that you start to get comfortable with, with losing and realizing winning isn't everything. And, you know, I actually, my daughter is the same way. She's five, seven and 11 years old. So I was also five, seven and at 12 and I never grew another inch, but I was very physically dominant, you know? So like I was, I was just very good athletically because a lot of the other kids kind of hadn't grown and developed yet. And then then that starts to like even out a little bit over time. So I would say I kind of like peaked in everything at 12. And then my teens became more like getting comfortable with failure and getting comfortable with not being the best at everything, which I think was like a very needed and healthy dose of of reality. Yeah. Well, I love that you say that you were competitive as a kid and you love that feeling of winning because I'm I'm a two-year-old right now. And when he shoots a hoop in the basketball net and makes it, I have the most overreaction of like, oh my God, (laughs) yay, you win. I feel like we're like, my husband and I have cultivated this culture at home of like every time he kind of wins, we overdo it. And I'm always thinking to myself, like, what is this going to do to him? Right. (laughs) But I like what you're saying. Hopefully it encourages him to be competitive because he loves the feeling of us going crazy. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I do think some of it is innate. I really do. Like I I love just generally the concept of like nature versus nurture. And I would say I'm I'm a competitive person. My daughter, on the other hand, I think she's better at sports or just naturally gifted athletically more than I was, but like her competitive drive is just not the same, (laughs) you know, like she was like, take it or leave it, you know? And she doesn't get the same kind of like Jones and validation that I did from it, which I think is, is fascinating. And I'm sure there's probably a, like a more meaningful psychological root <laughs> there that might be take too long to uncover, but yeah, it's, it's there. Well, and one more question on that, because you've had numerous leadership roles looking back on your childhood, were there moments of you being in that leadership role or loving or wanting like being a leader as a kid? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, I would say I was definitely much more of a leader throughout my, my childhood, like captain of the soccer team, captain of this president of that. I definitely gravitated towards leadership positions but I, and I never really knew what I wanted to be growing up. I didn't know I wanted to be in charge of it. I wanted to be, be the one who was able to kind of call the shots and be kind of the architect of my, of my own destiny. And so it definitely was something that I, that I gravitated towards naturally. Did you ever want to be a school teacher when you were really little? Cause they were kind of like the first leader, maybe I did. I remember wanting to be a teacher. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And and my mom was a teacher. My mom's just really cool and such a great source of inspiration for me, like very strong woman. And she she was a eighth grade teacher, then became like a, a second grade teacher, spent most of her time as a second grade teacher. I thought about being a teacher. I thought about being a lawyer. I thought about being a doctor. I thought about I thought about everything. And I don't know, it seems like in a way, like the career that I've had has just been kind of like 
a bunch of happy accidents or I, I, I never would have thought that this was what I would be doing if you told me back then. Crazy. And so when you think about, I guess, what were some of the first couple jobs that you had when you were like before college, I guess, kind of high school years? Yeah, high school. So the first job I had, so I actually, like my senior year, one of the first days of varsity softball, my senior year, I was super excited to close out my my high school career. I broke my finger playing first base very early on in the season. And then I kind of like, I sat around on the bench for a bit. And then I was just like, man, this is just like, it's killing me watching everybody probably would have been more supportive if I had just like sat through it. But instead I I went and I got my first job. Actually, you know, this is actually my second job. My first job was, I was a, a host at the spaghetti factory, the old spaghetti factory in, in Fullerton, California. And I was a host and I sat people at their tables and I really liked that. That's when I was 16. So this was like around 17 or 18. That was kind of more like a weekend evening job instead of babysitting or something. And then I did, when I broke my finger, I was actually, I was still able to make uh, frozen yogurt. So I went to go work at the bagel and bean company. It was like a frozen yogurt and bagel shop and they had espresso and things like that. And so I, I started working behind the counter making frozen yogurt and stuff like that they would like, you know, at the end of the day, they're like day old bagels and pizza bagels and stuff like that. And I would like bring them home. And so I gained my freshman 15, like from the bagels, (laughs) about six six months too early before I went to college. You know, I wound up just like enjoying all of the carbs that I could eat, but I really, I enjoyed the job. It was fine. And then I went off to college and then in college I had jobs you know, on campus, like at the career center. And I, I was a tour guide in college. I went to Colgate University, which is in upstate New York. So coming from Southern California to all the way to New York. Yeah, that's a big jump. Was a big jump. And that was, you know, definitely culture shock. But I, you know, I think like really just the only way to deal with, you know, I think some of that like awkwardness and the culture shock is just to be involved and to participate. And so I did, I did a bunch of different things. I was in a sorority. I I did that tour guide thing and I continue to be just very involved with the school today, made some of the best friends of my life. And then also um, met my husband. We started dating sophomore year. And so we got married, you know, a handful of years out of school. So after school, where did you end up working and what were you studying? It looks like you're studying, I think, English. So were you going to use your degree or what was your, what'd you do after school? Yes. Again, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but had internships throughout the summers. I worked at the front desk at Disneyland Hotel in California one year. I had an internship at HBO the summer that they launched Sex in the City. So I was an intern in the PR department to do that. And that was just a really thrilling and exciting experience. And I did get an offer from HBO for when I graduated, but decided to take the road less traveled. And I wound up working for a family friend in the trade organization of the beauty industry called CEW. That's really where I learned about the beauty industry and and fell in love with it. And so I was doing things like, you know, events and programming and websites and and marketing, having had a sense of communications and marketing from my internship at HBO, but really it just kind of, you know, I think internships are just about like understanding how the world works in a professional context, but some of the things you can apply go forward. And from there, then I wound up going to Victoria's Secret 
in the beauty division of Victoria's Secret, which, you know, was really kind of almost like a startup inside a, a larger organization. They were, you know, trying to take the very successful, but relatively small to the massive size that was Victoria's Secret, a kind of nascent category of their fragrant body care and fragrances themselves and expand that beauty portfolio. And so it seemed like a very exciting opportunity to, to build something. And I think that's really what my career has been about is gravitating towards these, you know, opportunities to grow and build. And I started in the communications department and eventually moved over to marketing and commu- communications. And, you know, it was a really you know, great kind of foundation in customer insights, customer centricity, retail marketing, and just overall leadership and professional development. It was there also that I wound up getting a master's in beauty marketing and management at FIT. Every beauty company was kind of sponsoring a one of their you know best and brightest to go through this beauty program, and I did that along that journey as well. So that was a really amazing opportunity to just go deeper into the beauty industry, as well as you know, just I've met some incredible colleagues and friends that I still you know I'm very close with today. You were there for about seven years, I think. Yeah, it was like seven or eight. That's a a nice long time. And then you went over to Ann Taylor. So what made you kind of shift from Victoria's Secret to go over to Ann Taylor? Yeah, I mean, I thought I would be in the beauty industry forever. And especially having kind of gotten this master's in this like very tight group of, of beauty people, like it was very surprising that I got recruited into fashion. And I did. And I would say I regretted it immediately. Like it was one of those things where I was like, oh no, what have I done? Oh no. When did you realize it wasn't for you? What was that moment for you like? It was like the second day of of being there. It was really like one of those things like you go through all of the decisions of like, can I call them back at Victoria's Secret? Like, will they take me back? Like I had a non-compete. So I had to wait out three months during this non-compete period because a bunch of people went over to from Victoria's Secret over there. And, and during that time, there it was the 2008 kind of global crisis, financial crisis, or you know the downturn. And so instantly, Ann Taylor was concerned about liquidity, you know, their stock price plummets. And I'm meant to be working in like charitable initiatives, uh, communications, advertising. And it's just like, it's not the place to be and it's not the time to be there. I don't characterize the entire organization as like as being the problem. I think it was definitely the the moment of time. And so, you know, I, I definitely I learned a ton along the way. I think also there's, you know, a moment of I wanted to, I was excited to be over a number of brands, not just one category, which I was for beauty. And the opportunity to go from associate vice president to vice president was very appealing and exciting. And so I think I didn't really do my diligence in the excitement of the promotion and what it all meant. And so I kind of didn't, I I learned for sure from that experience of, of being a bit more careful. But when I realized it wasn't the right fit, I immediately started studying for my GMATs. I always wanted to go to business school. And so actually my husband and I, started studying together. And then we both wound up being accepted to Columbia Business School. So that was the kind of silver lining out of very a difficult experience. That's great. Because you were kind of like, hey, I'm at this Ann Taylor job. It's not really for me. What can I do to learn and grow? And that's kind of why, is that why you maybe came up with going to business school? Because it's kind of like, why then? You're already like vice president roles at these great companies. Like you 
clearly I wouldn't think needed an MBA in any way. What made you think that you wanted to do that? Yes and no. I felt like there was an element for me of knowing that I wanted to be a CEO someday. Again, like not really sure. When did that happen? When did that happen? Probably, I don't know, like maybe two years into working, you know, like probably when I worked for Robin Burns at Victoria's Secret Beauty, you know, I saw her and was like, I I want that job. She was just such an amazing mentor in my life and seeing these, you know, really strong, powerful women who were great teachers in addition to leaders. I was like, yeah, I want to do that. And so I, I was starting really in public relations, like in communications. And so, so you start kind of doing the calculus of like, how is it that I can gain operational experience when I'm doing well in the job that I'm in today? And I think that's the challenge that a lot of people face is sometimes when you're doing a good job in what it is that you're doing, they want to keep you there. Um, and so it's difficult often to, to make those parallel moves or make parallel moves if you've gotten too far ahead. And so I think that that was one of the things. And and originally when the whole FIT program came up, I I talked to the head of HR and I was like, you know, I'm really thinking about going to business school. And she was like, don't leave, do this FIT program. Like you don't have to leave the company. You can continue to work and we'll, and we'll pay for it and we'll do all of that. So that was really a great opportunity, but it was kind of like MBA light. Like I knew in my heart of hearts to kind of like shake the stigma in a way of like being in PR and that's all I could do. I kind of had to get serious about the other parts of my executive toolkit. Right. Interesting. So you were inspired at Victoria's Secret about around being a CEO And then you kind of wanted to go to business school, but then they're like, no, just go to FIT. So you you did. And then you get to Ann Taylor and you're like, okay, I really don't really like it. And I want to be a CEO. So I want to go get that MBA. And so you go to Columbia. And then what happens after you graduate from Columbia? So during that period of time, I started kind of consulting or talking about consulting project with Juicy Couture and then wound up joining as first like customer insights on marketing, and then wound up running all of marketing for a global marketing for Juicy Couture. And again, this was my kind of second job in fashion. I was like, I should have gone back to beauty, you know, like, but it was really fascinating, a very fascinating experience of having global marketing experience. There's like a whole licensing portfolio that was brand new to me. Wholesale was brand new to me. And so I just got really, you know, excited about like the new aspects of business that I was getting exposed to. And it was also a very difficult environment, difficult time for the business. And I also had some, some difficulty like on the pregnancy front. And I think this is where kind of like a new chapter kind of ushered in for me of, the challenge of trying to to build a family and build a career at the same time really kind of like came crashing down for me and it wasn't it was it was never going to be <laughs> the place or the environment what I what I was going to be able to do that i had a lot of difficulty staying pregnant keeping my pregnancies and just felt like i kind of needed a reboot and wound up after the MBA graduation and trying, you know, and I was, I was pregnant with, with my daughter and felt like I needed a bit more of like a nurturing environment. 
and wound up going to a private equity backed small denim company that was on the rise that would allow me to work four days a week instead of five and where I could kind of balance the the motherhood aspects that were really important to me alongside the professional aspects that were really important to me. That must have been a tough find though, right? I mean, how did you even find this opportunity? Yeah. You know, I'm close with a person actually who was who did our advertising at Juicy. I knew the kind of like tragedies that I had been through and kind of what I needed to do to reset my life. And she introduced me to the CEO and, you know, part owner of this denim company and was like, I think you should talk like they're looking to, they've never had anybody in marketing. It's all been done through agencies. And then what's exciting is that you would have the opportunity to build an e-commerce business, which I had been again, like kind of like adjacent. I had been doing performance marketing. I had been doing, you know, UX, but never the operational side of e-commerce, which was again, excited me as like, again, this concept of being able to add more tools to this, you know, toolbox and gain more exposure to different aspects of the business. And a lot of people kind of said to me, they're like, oh my gosh, this is going to kill your career. This is like, you went from like Victoria's Secret and Juicy, like these cool brands that you're kind of judged by the brand as if it's your own personal brand. And it was just a concept that I kind of rejected as like, if I'm close to the customer and I understand who the customer is, like, it doesn't matter if I'm the customer, you know, it's about whether or not I can articulate ways to make their life better through our product offerings and understand their problems and their, the solutions that they need. And so I just kind of was like, oh, it, it just, it annoyed me. And I decided I wasn't going to listen to that. And I spent about six years at NYDJ, you know, building their marketing for not your daughter's jeans. And so the idea... My mom loves that brand, by the way. Right. No. So the, and my mom did too. And I was like, I'm not really the customer. But then we discovered so much about... Really, it was about fit. So this was like... It kind of led the resurgence of the high-waist trends, kind of comfort gene, this idea of sculpting. And it discovered really that it was more about the fit and body positivity than it was like the age platform. So there was a ton of like really needy and exciting work that I was able to do there while being able to have two healthy children that are like probably my greatest outputs during that period of my career. But it was really then there that I had this concept based on being a full funnel marketer of the frustrations I had, you know, with the different marketing tools that were available and talking to consumers and they would say, oh, my best friend swears by these, my sister swears by these jeans. And and I was like, huh, there's just something that's really impactful about word of mouth, friend to friend recommendations. And there just, there isn't a way to amplify these at scale. And so that's when I came up with this idea for my own startup, which was a word of mouth product recommendations platform called Swearby. I wound up leaving to do that and build that business. And, and it was like a total, just crazy thing to leave a very like stable job to take my hand at entrepreneurship on my own at 40 years old. When I, you know, most people are like really doubling down on like the growth of their career and making money. And then I quit to like make no money. <laughs> and spend all of my money building this platform. And there was there was actually started to get a little traction and there was a there there and ultimately wound up being acquired by Meredith Corporation, the very large media company that owns InStyle and Real Simple. 
and people. And, and that really, you know, that moment just kind of set me off in this current entrepreneurial trajectory. I've learned so much over the last like six, seven years of entrepreneurship. It feels like home. It's where I am now and now running another startup this time with Scarlett Johansson. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Customer service and call centers are rarely topics that people get excited about, but Awesome CX is simply different. Their inclusive culture rooted in wellness and fun means that their teams are encouraged to be their best selves personally and professionally by providing them with everything from mental health and healthcare resources to career development. And regardless of the size of your business, Awesome CX is uniquely positioned to support you throughout your growth. They work with some of the fastest growing startups like FabFitFun, Carbon38, Lettuce Grow, Mudwater, and so many more. Want to see it to believe it? Just email me directly at lee, L-E-E, at stairwaytoceo.com to request to join one of their coffee chats where you can meet with their amazing team and witness the agent engagement yourself. You'll be so impressed. I can't wait for you to learn more about Awesome CX to make your brand's customer experience awesome. Thank you so much to our incredible sponsors for supporting the Stairway to CEO podcast. Now let's get back to the show. And so you had your company for, I guess, three years, and you just learned so much building your own business. I mean, it's like you just have to do everything. (laughs) So, And you also had your daughter, I think, at this point, right? Yeah. And my son at this point. So my son was maybe like two years old, probably the age of of yours. Yeah. I have a two-year-old now. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So here you have two kids and you're like, I'm going to start a a company right now. That's (laughs) hilarious. I love that. Isn't that hilarious? I feel like we all, at least for myself, when I was younger, I'd always imagine like, oh, I'm going to have kids when I've got this great career. I've made some great money, you know? And it's like, of course, I have a kid during the pandemic where like my husband and I don't have jobs. You know, who can, you just can't predict it. You can't predict it. There's never a right time. And that's the thing is I've said no to so many opportunities because I was like, "Mm, it's not the right time. And, you know, I kind of have kicked myself more than once later for doing that. And similarly with this, when I met Scarlett, you know, it was like right as the deal with Meredith was coming together. And I was like, oh, this is, it's just not the right time for me to get involved in something else. And then and then I overnight I thought about it and I was like, what am I doing? You know, why do I say why do I say no? How did it come up? How how did this happen? How did Scarlett Johansson and you guys, how did you find each other? Tell us the story. I know. I mean, it's kind of wild because I think a lot of it does seem it's kind of outrageous. Like when you think about it, I'm a very average, <laughs> normal person from very average upbringing. Like I am not a famous person. So to be very close and in business with somebody who, you know, is globally known as kind of like, it's surprising to me as well. But the way that it came together is, you know, it's really just through old fashioned relationships, having, you know, I think, made a lot of friends along the way, and people who would recommend me to other people for certain things. And, and the way I think really, ultimately, this like six degrees kind of came together was, there was somebody who was looking at my business swear by, and we were trying to figure out if maybe it made sense for us to, if he would acquire the business and we would partner up. And I spent like 13 hours with this person. Like, I mean, he had me do like a personality test, had me do like all of this stuff, like really, really getting in deep with um, the business, thinking of 
we could be good partners. And then ultimately, like, we just couldn't figure it out. And then the deal, when he told me, he was like, you know, I really enjoyed meeting with you, but I don't think this deal is going to make sense. And I was so bummed. And this was to acquire your business? Is this, this potential acquire? Exactly. Like, it was all of a sudden, because I was fundraising for Swearby. And it was just crazy because, like, all of a sudden, like, it's like feast or famine. Everybody's like, no, 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 no. And then like five different like strategics kind of popped out of the woodwork. There were three media companies and one kind of like personal care company and then one like data company that all were like talking to about this business at the same time. And so this was like a personal care company that was like where consumer was really at the heart of what they were doing. And so like this kind of like conversation platform that it was building was was interesting. So we talked about like, could it work? Could it work? It didn't. And I was so bummed. And then like two hours later, the call and the offer from Meredith came in. And I was like, whoa, this is this is meant to be. But then I was like, man, I spent 13 hours with this guy. What was the personality test he had you take? I mean, it was like, how do you handle conflict? How do you... Well, is it, is it a certain test like the DISC assessment or like what was the name of the test? I don't even know. I don't even know. Because as I was doing that, I was like, I, do I want this job this bad? Like it was like a three hour test that I did for something that just couldn't, couldn't, didn't really have an end game. And I think that's when, when it didn't work out, I was like, I wasted so much time on this, but turns out it wasn't because when a friend of Scarlett's asked another friend who asked this person, he was like, you should meet you should meet with Kate Foster. So then he came back to the other person and said, oh, I've got the, this girl, Kate Foster, you should meet her. Should, and then this friend of Scarlett's wound up calling me. So it was like three people? Is this like a distance of three different people? It was really, it was like three people removed. Like a grapevine. It's like a real actual grapevine. It was a total grapevine. Yeah. Because, it, and but ultimately it was our a friend who now I've become close with like her friend, Matt Higgins was really kind of at the center. And net, Matt is like a networker. So he networked with this person who networked with that person, then it kind of all came back. So yeah, so I I don't know. It's it's wild to me to think of as well. But what was your first meeting like? Did you get to meet in person? Like what were some of the first steps? And like, were you nervous meeting her? Or what was your experience like? Yeah, I mean, I wound up going to her her production office, which actually is in the same building as my dentist. And I walked in and I think the first thing I said was like, my dentist is in this building. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, how often do you go to the dentist? I was like, wow, that's really interesting. But I think that just kind of but I think that just kind of like set us up on this, you know, like I was intimidated, but like I think the second you meet her, then like that's the kind of thing that you talk about with her is like where your dentist is and like the weird thing that your kid said to you, or it's just very real and relatable. And it was instantly any fear or uncertainty I had, like in the second that before I opened the door was completely gone the next second when I met her, you know, it was just very natural and very easy. And I think it's because there's like a foundation of of shared values. Like we're very, we're into our families, we're into doing what we say, producing quality products, trying, learning, being curious about the world is, I think, something that we share and creates like a very good foundation for partnership. 
And so was she just at an idea phase? Like she had this idea. Does someone else have this idea? Like kind of how, where was it when you first met her? Yeah. So, you know, what's wild is that the, I, and I say this to her all the time and I say this to her team, this, our, our team is that her vision for what she articulated to me in that very first meeting is actually like what we wound up building. <laughs> like, and I'm just kind of so shocked because it never really works out that way that you can have this clarity of vision and be able to connect it to the, to the execution or that the clarity of vision was like the right thing. You know, usually you discover other things along the way and it kind of sends you in a more kind of winding path, but you know, it's because it, it, it generated from a very authentic place for Scarlett with her own struggles with having sensitized acne prone skin where, you know, she struggled having clear with having clear skin, like, you know, it was very difficult as an actor where you're, you know, expected to have camera ready skin every day. And you sit in front of a mirror for hours in a day looking at yourself. And if you have acne and dry skin and uneven skin and all of this, like it can kind of take a toll. But for somebody like me who struggled with the same things, and I wasn't in front of the camera, it still does take a toll on your on your self confidence. And so I think we really bonded over that. Hers was definitely on a much larger scale, you know, a more public scale than mine, but still like the, I think, challenges of having quote unquote problem skin really does take a toll on your self-confidence. But she told me that, you know, she had these struggles and she had access to all these amazing dermatologists and makeup artists and beauty experts and estheticians who'd be like, try this product, try that product. They're always these very harsh, active ingredients meant to quote unquote fix her skin that just made it worse. And really, what she didn't realize at the time, which now we understand, is that she had a disrupted skin barrier, which was the root of her skin woes. Is that when you have a disrupted skin barrier, it allows irritants and allergens to penetrate your skin's layers. And it causes more disruption. And that disruption can take the form of acne, uneven skin tone, dryness. And really what she found is out of desperation, she quit all those like harsh active ingredients and just focused on cleansing, prepping, moisturizing skin every day. Like this very like gentle but consistent routine that was really focused on delivering nutrients and moisture to her skin. And like it completely transformed. And so it was kind of this idea of taking a more like gentle approach to skincare and nourishing through moisture when she thought that moisture was like the reason why her skin was quote unquote dirty or was bad was because, you know, it was too oily or it was too this or too that, but it was actually just out of balance and she needed to nurture the skin barrier. And so that's what we wanted to bring to the outset was this idea that gentle skincare can be the secret to your best skin ever when it's really focused on nurturing your barrier and making your barrier healthy, your skin will be clear and you'll have more great skin days. And so her routine was this, that was the foundation for the line, the cleansing, prepping and moisturizing. And I had grown up with the Clinique three-step or, you know, I tried proactive in my youth as well. And so I was familiar with the idea of three steps, but usually that second step is like a toner or an exfoliant or something that like tends to be really harsh. And here she was like, no, it's actually prepping skin. It's like feeding it with moisture and firming skin with the serum as the second step was really kind of the game changer. And that's what we wound up building is this three-step that is radically gentle and audaciously nourishing and is very clean and fragrance-free and 
gluten allergen free, you know, it's really meant to remove all of the sources of irritation so that as many people as possible can participate in the brand, no matter the gender, generation, skin type, and really find a more kind of gentle approach to skin health. I was watching this video, I think on YouTube with when Scarlett went on the Drew Barrymore show and the way she kind of, I guess, spoke about the outset, she described it as the white t-shirt of beauty. And I was like, that is so true because even just the branding is all white. It's so beautiful. It's like white and navy blue and it's so, so beautiful. And when she said the white t-shirt, I was like, that is so true. This is like the basics that you need to use every day. And it's just kind of funny. I've never heard of anybody describe like a beauty brand as like a t-shirt, but that's that really resonated for some reason. It's wild because like that little, when she came up with that concept, I was like, well, yeah, so many people get it because, you know, it's foundational. It can be dressed up, dressed down, which also means like our brand plays well with others. Like you can use that wild active mask, but you need a gentle cleanser to go along with it. Or, you know, if you're using retinol, then absolutely, you know, it's important that your skin cycling and using really gentle moisture to balance that out. So I think it's a true metaphor in many ways, because it has that like, everyday element. It has the connotations of like a classic staple. And then I think also the idea of it being able to work with anything in your wardrobe, I think is, you know, very appealing as well. And it's really great. I mean, I've been trying the daily moisturizer, which has been amazing. The night cream. There's so many really great ones. You have this boosting oil. What are your favorite products and what what are the best sellers? Well, I mean, the best seller on our website is that, and this is great, is that people are buying the three-step. When they're opting into the brand, they're doing the cleanse prep and moisturize together. That's what they're buying as a bundle on our site. And it's the thing, like, honestly, like I can't live without. I think I would probably like, if I went away for a weekend and like forgot to pack it, I might hyperventilate a little bit. But fortunately I have like everything tucked away in like various different little pouches and corners and wherever I, so it's going to be difficult for me to actually go without it. But I mean, it really is a fantastic product. What has emerged kind of as the hero among or the superhero, let's call it, among this hero of regimen is that prep serum, that second step, because it really is, it is a game changer of a serum because it does multiple things in one very smooth hydrating formula. It brightens, it firms, it plumps, it increases skin elasticity. Like it's it's really working to kind of create this foundation that puts your skin in an ideal state to receive moisture. So the serum is phenomenal. The price point across the line is really great. We, in trying to kind of demystify luxury beauty or, you know, just make it more accessible. We wanted to make the price point under $55, you know, it was actually like was meant to be under 50, but like, you know, struggled with one of the products, but realized also like we could charge a lot more, but we wound up trying to keep the price points really focused and accessible under 55 so that people wouldn't feel too precious about using it. You know, the idea that the best skincare is the one that you use every day and just, you know, it doesn't have to be crazy in terms of your routine, but it should be consistent, you know? So it's about this consistency over complication. The night cream, I think is also one that is like, is just very thrilled and and happy with that formula. It's very rich. 
but also has, has bakuchiol in it, which helps with light cell regeneration resurfacing kind of overnight without irritating. So it's like a botanical alternative to retinol and put in the right balances. Like we've done so much work to make sure that these products could be very effective without irritating your skin. Because some people are like, oh, well, it has 4% niacinamide in it. It's like, like that's going to burn your skin. Like, you know, if you have, if you have sensitive skin, like the important, how much of these active ingredients you use is is very important. Mm -hmm. I have sensitive skin, so I appreciate all of it. And more people than ever have sensitive skin. Well, it's because everything is so harsh out there. I feel like, especially the makeup I modeled for so many years and I think the makeup really just made it so much more sensitive. I guess that whole skin barrier you were talking about before, maybe it has to do with it. Yeah. No, it's environmental stressors. It's the amount of these actives that are in other products. And then also kind of TikTok is showing everybody you need like a 14 step skincare routine, which you don't, (laughs) you know, like, yeah, no, thanks. I'm good. I don't have time. (laughs) Exactly. How did you come up with the name? Were you, did they already have the name before you joined or how did you guys come up with the name at the outset? I actually thought of the name. You did. How did you come up with that? I mean, Scarlett just kept saying the beginning, the start. I want it like the start, the beginning of something. And I like, literally I was on thesaurus.com like a minute before we were reviewing all of these names that a a copywriter helped us come up with. And I was like, outset, the outset. (laughs) And I I was like, oh, and I was super excited by it. And then immediately went over to the USPTO trademark and saw that there was nothing in our class. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this seems possible. And I put it on the list and we were going through in the meeting and long, long list of names we had. She was like, no, 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 that's not right. That's not it. The outset. She was like, outset, the outset, you know? And so we both really just felt like there was a ton of opportunity around the expression from the outset or at the outset is a way that I think signifies kind of a, a new beginning that we believe that these products can give you no matter where you are in your skincare journey. That's awesome. And so how big is the team now? And how have you guys raised money? What has fundraising been like? Yeah, we're we're about 10 people now. And we did a, a seed round, kind of like a seed plus. So we're we've done fundraising. We have a great board of advisors and we're just trying to kind of generate the traction that we need and those KPIs that are going to position us for the next capital raise, maybe next year. Yeah. For series A. Yeah. Different KPIs. What are the KPIs you think for beauty brands for like a series A round? I mean, it, it depends, but for us, one of the things that we are really thrilled about is our repeat customer rate is bonkers. And so, you know, it's once we acquire a customer, they come back and they're coming back in a big way because this is also foundational daily skincare. So the repeat customer rate is high. And I think the price point is such that there isn't too much of a barrier to, it's a nice middle of the road sweet spot that has a good AOV coupled with a very nice frequency. So we love that, you know, of being able to, I think in the first year, I mean, the first couple of months, like you don't, you don't know anything about anything. Like it's just like, just putting stuff out there and just trying to see what the customer's responding to. And now 
a year in, you have a better sense of CAC and what you need to do. And our CAC to LTV ratio, I think is like really kind of the the star of our story. I think we don't really consider ourselves as a celebrity brand because we think that the customers, it's really about like, while this originated from Scarlett's genuine pain point, it's not about like, look how to look like her. It's about how to reveal your skin's true potential. And really the customer is kind of at the, at the center of everything that we do, but she also doesn't have social media. So she, from the beginning was like, I, I know that it's going to be a challenge, you know, for some investors or for other people who've always wanted me to open a social platform so that I could monetize this audience. She's like, I'd rather build a community slowly around this concept than just kind of turn on a social media platform so I can make money off of them. I didn't realize she's so she doesn't have an Instagram or TikTok or any of those. Yeah. Well, clearly, I don't even know. That's why I'm not, I'm not on social media very much either. So, Yeah, which is very rare in the world of, of beauty. And the reason why is because you don't have that efficient CAC, but we've been able to, to figure it out and to generate some really nice KPIs outside of that. And I think ultimately, it's the long game is what it's about. You know, it is about that LTV and a brand with longevity that isn't about Scarlet, it's about the fact that your skin has never looked better. When you were fundraising, was that a pro or a con? Do you feel like maybe some investors wanted it to be a celebrity brand and would have liked to see her have a social media? And then there's the camp of folks that were like, okay, I get it. And it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. It's not, I mean, and that's why having relationships that matter, you have to be on the same page, right? The same way that we had to stack hands with our suppliers of like, listen, we're really picky. It's going to take a lot of round of submissions. And like, we have a very long list of banned ingredients of potentially toxic and harmful ingredients that we don't want in the products. It's going to be really difficult to, to formulate. So you have to know that, <laughs> you know, like we have to all be on the same page about the fact it might take a little longer, but the results, the end result is going to be worth it. Same thing with the investors and partners that we choose. It's like, we have to decide that, you know, it might be more expensive upfront, but like, if we do our jobs right, the consumer is the one who's going to be owning this brand and advocating like with that authentic word of mouth, not, you know, because Scarlett posted some clickbait on her own social media. Makes sense. Well, looking back on your journey, you've had such an incredible career. What have been some of the biggest challenges you feel like? I know you've mentioned a few, but where are some of the hard lessons learned that have helped you get to where you are? Oh my God. I mean, there's so many. It's like, I could probably just go like tickler list. <laughs> I think that Scarlett and I talk a lot about, I mean, I think because she's also, she's been a professional, like she's been in the working world since she was eight. So even though like I'm eight years older than her, like in many ways, she's been an executive longer than me. And I think over that time, she's like really learned to trust her gut. And I'm like a very objective person. And I like seeing all of the facts before making a decision. I think she's taught me to trust my gut a little bit more. Because you know, you really do like starting to kind of like understand like what that little tingle means. And you're like, mm, that doesn't feel right. So I think that trusting your gut is something that 
I'm like constantly a work in progress on, but I think it's like, it isn't really important to kind of like be centered in yourself and understand what, what you know to be true and let that guide you. I do think that the collaboration also is something that is mostly inherent (laughs) in people and is a difficult thing to teach. And I think that a lot of times, you know, because we're a very collaborative environment. And I think that collaboration also comes from like a place of, of trust and of security. And people do their best collaborating when they feel, you know, that they're in a safe space, but ultimately that like they trust themselves to be vulnerable, to take input from other people. And I think sometimes like people who don't or have a hard time collaborating oftentimes are a little kind of like insecure about their space or or find it difficult to trust and let other people in. And I think that's like a really important part. So I don't know, I've definitely tried, you know, more to kind of like figure out more like other kind of like these elements, people would say it's like soft skills, but that almost implies that they're not important. But I think they're just as important as like the functional aspects of being able to do your job, particularly in a startup environment like ours. Right. It's almost like emotional intelligence. You have to have such a high level of that to even be aware that maybe someone's holding back or not willing to be vulnerable. And maybe they're not vulnerable because they were with people that they trusted and got screwed, right? Like that happens a lot. And then it's, of course, you don't want to open up at your next job because you're you're like, okay, everyone's out for themselves, right? Yeah. No. And I do think that those those traumas whether they were formed in childhood, you know, or where they were formed five years ago from being in a difficult or toxic environment at work, you know, it definitely winds up playing out in our everyday lives. Oh, yeah, I can feel them. I, you know, I feel you people out there who have had traumas for during your work experiences. And it's hard to come back from because you really just feel like everybody's like that. And it's hard not to have that view. But then it happens again. And you're like, I knew it. You know, know. like, sometimes you just can't avoid it. Sometimes it has nothing to do with you sometimes. Yeah. I do think though that, you know, there's, I don't remember what decade it's from, Sendelaney. It's like super old school management philosophies, but there's one there about assuming positive intent. I learned that, and, you know, one of my first leadership conferences or sessions, workshops at Victoria's Secret. And that's one that stuck with me. It's like, because I do think that when, if you assume that the person that you're working with or that you're, collaborating with in some way has the same positive intent that you are, that you do, then you're less likely to put some of that suspicion or some of your baggage on them. Like you think that we're all trying to do the same thing, then you're less likely to like read into perceived slights that are just going to cause you to spiral and tailspin. And I found that actually like some of those like Sendelaney leadership techniques from that I learned in early 2000s, like really had stuck with me in very positive ways. And I think one of those is, is about curiosity, and just being curious about somebody's opinion, being curious about what they do. Just curiosity, I think it allows you to receive more information and allows you to do it in ways that aren't, you know, charged, aren't judgmental, 
if you really like are curious about knowing, you're more likely to grow as a result. So I love that one too. Staying curious. It's important. So what is next for the outset and what's some final advice? You've already talked about, you know, assume positive intent, which is a big one. Curiosity. If there's any other advice you have for aspiring entrepreneurs out there or those in the trenches building a business today, what is it? And then what's next for the outset? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's all that innovative, but I mean, I think resilience is the number one characteristic that you have to have in, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you have to be resilient. And I think, you know, in the course of one day, three things go amazingly right. And two things go like really wrong. (laughs) And it's truly like, it's not all years of roller coaster. Like every day is kind of a roller coaster. You have to be even in terms of, you know, the way that you receive the information, but you have to figure out how to keep going and keep moving forward. And I think resilience is a quality that I always tell my kids about that. I think it's, it is, it's not a work philosophy. It's a life philosophy. It's about how you pick yourself back up when things didn't go your way. You're going to crumble. Are you going to cry about it? Are you going to let it break you or are you going to let it motivate you to be smarter the next time to take that information and use it and propel you forward? I think resilience is is key. So, and then what's next for us? Lots of things, <laughs> you know, like we are, we're only a year and change into like this journey. And so I actually mentor college students in entrepreneurship at my, both of my alma maters at at Colgate and Columbia. So I spend a lot of time talking to current and interested entrepreneurs. And I'm like very much in the same stage as them. (laughs) It's not like I'm sitting back and looking at it like, oh, well, this is all the things that I figured out. It's like, this is what I'm doing today. You're in the trenches. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So it's not from a place of an ivory tower. It's definitely in the trenches alongside them. But, you know, we have some exciting new launches coming up. We have some exciting new retail partnerships. We are just really at the phase where we're just trying to, now that we have a sense of, you know, some of the really bright spots of the business, how can we continue to attract more customers and kind of get them to show your participate in this gentle skincare movement that our customers are leading? Because they're telling us like, my skin has never been better since using the outset. Or they say like, oh, they weren't really sure what to expect, but then they're like, oh, it, it actually works. And I like laugh all the time. I say to Scarlett, I'm like, you know how many times a day we're actually, and you know, it's because you wind up, you know, when somebody's like, oh, well, actually that was fun. Or actually that was a good idea. It's because you're kind of like a backhanded compliment. You're saying you didn't expect the person to have a good idea. Right. But I think it's kind of fun to be underestimated because that's when you can really knock people's socks off and surprise them. And I think that's what's happening. And so this movement's starting to build and we're just trying to get more friends participating in it. That's awesome. Well, Kate, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I really enjoyed hearing your story. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and for the great conversation. 
thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review, and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.